Hello, and welcome back to the Bench to Boardroom podcast. I am your host, Cynthia Steele, and today's guest is Dr. Sarah Snyder. Uh, she is a PharmD who is the co-founder of MSL Mastery and Aspire MSL, as well as an executive recruiter for the Carolyn Group. Uh, Sarah got her PharmD uh, from Drake University in May of 2000 and was one of the only students in her class, if not the only student, who was interested in medical information rather than in patient care. And she took it upon herself to really push for a fellowship with the FDA and to get herself experience with medical information uh, and drug information rather than going on to do patient care. And we are benefiting from that persistence. Sarah built an incredible career for herself over 20 years in medical affairs, working at different companies. And now she works as a recruiter and as a mentor for aspiring MSLs. Uh, if you're on LinkedIn and you follow medical affairs professionals at all on LinkedIn, you've probably seen Sarah's name. She posts all the time. She has absolutely wonderful content about how to become an MSL or case studies from clients of hers. She posts polls. I mean, she has this incredible online presence. So Sarah and I talk about uh, pros and cons of the MSL career. We talk a bit about online branding and how if you don't build an online brand, your online brand is already out there and it's not great because that picture of you is easily 10 years old and it looks terrible. So if you don't build an online brand for yourself, it's already out there and it's not good. Sarah and I have this absolutely wonderful conversation. She is chock full of information and I really think you're going to enjoy it. She also talks about her own podcast, which is about running over 40. She's a guru about uh, fitness and nutrition as well, which is what got her interested in pharmacy. And overall, I mean, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, my interview with Dr. Sarah Snyder. Sarah Snyder, welcome to the Vegetable Boardroom Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. I, I am so excited to have you here. You're like LinkedIn famous. You're all over Thank my you. LinkedIn. That's <laughs> funny. I'll tell my kids you said that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you'll tell your kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think my nieces would say like, well, you're not really famous unless you're TikTok famous, but that's, I, I, I can't handle TikTok. Right. Oh, no. I know. I mean, it's same, same. Yeah, it's, it's way too much. Mm -hmm. So for my listeners who don't see you on their LinkedIn pages all the time, uh, please introduce yourself. Yeah, for sure. So my name is Sarah and I'm a pharmacist by training. I live in the Midwest and I have worked in the industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, on the medical affairs side for about 20 years. That's the majority of my career. And then about two years ago, I pivoted outside of you know working in pharma to actually recruiting for those that want to either get into pharma or are already in. And so I've been a recruiter with 
an organization called the Carolyn Group for about two years. And then I also do career coaching on the side uh, as part of a program called MSL Mastery. Uh, just a little bit else about me, I guess, you know, I have three kids and three dogs and I love to run and I'm kind of one of those people that's pretty much health and fitness obsessed. So we can talk about that a little bit related to pharmacy. Thanks again oh, for love- having me. I'm excited. Of course. I love that. And actually, you know, so I'm kind of a fitness nut too. I'm addicted to my Peloton and I'm actually, I'm addicted to weightlifting now. Um, I love to, I used to love to run, but then I ended up Mm -hmm. with a stress fracture. So I'm kind of taking a little bit of a step back from running so often. Um, So the bike's been great for that. But one of the things that I posted about on Instagram recently that I really feel has helped me is I feel like weightlifting has actually helped me get more confident. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you you can't mm-hmm. be hoisting these heavy weights around and watching yourself, literally feeling yourself get stronger mm-hmm. and yet feel small and weak. Like yeah. it's a, I don't, it's really helped me kind mm-hmm. of feel more confident in my mind and in my body. Do you, do you feel the same way when when you do a particularly challenging run? Yeah. And I also have started, I probably started adding strength training maybe five years ago, more seriously. And I agree. I got a strength coach and learned how to do it properly. And that made all the difference. So I'm with you. You just feel this sense of accomplishment when you continue to increase your weights or your reps. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. And I like mm-hmm. how you said that you want to make sure you're doing it correctly because, you know, mm-hmm. we, we've all been to the hotel gyms and yeah. there are those guys in the corner like grunting and you're like <laughs> going anywhere mm-hmm. near them. But a friend of mine um, who I've interviewed previously has said, all those guys have the worst form. Like, don't even pay attention yeah. to them. We're doing right. it all wrong. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> so, the one, so what drew you to a uh, career in pharmacy then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually interesting. I went to school and went to college to be a journalist. Uh, My love is actually in writing and communicating information. So I when I was a freshman in college, I was on the cross country and track team at my university. And I was very interested in anything health related. And it was the time where we had a lot of expansion of the herbal medicines. Uh, Back then, that was when it all started to happen. And I remember, I think it was in some Runner's World magazine or something, reading about a supplement where it said you could sweep off the stuff off the floor at the pharmacy, put it in a capsule and then put it, you know, for sale. And it's true you know, and no one was checking anything. You could put it out there. And so there was just no regulation over supplements whatsoever at that time. And I got very interested in that and just the whole drug approval process. And that's what made me transition over to a pharmacy major. I never intended to, you know, be a what I call a true pharmacist. I always just had some outside interests uh, that led me into it. Okay. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends is a pharmacist and her brain is like a sponge. I uh, I don't mm-hmm. know how she remembers <laughs> what mm-hmm. drugs are interacting with what. And de- wow. I mean, it's, I, I passed organic chemistry by the skin of my teeth and yeah. I was like, done. <laughs> I am done with this. Right, right, right. That is so impressive. So then I take it, um, mm-hmm. if you didn't become a pharmacist, did you want to be like a personal trainer or like something else related to health and fitness? 
I think yeah. I mean, I think all the way through pharmacy school, I knew I was going to do something different. Like most people in pharmacy school, you know, I considered going on and becoming a PA or doing something like that. But direct patient care was never something that I I was I felt like I was very good at. So it was just wasn't my thing. Uh, I'm really a drug information nerd by background. So when I took the drug information, I can't remember what that course is even called in pharmacy school, uh, some kind of statistics and evaluation, you know, I was like, wow, this is more for me. Uh, and I really love statistics, evaluating scientific information. And so that's what I ended up doing after school is I did a residency in drug information. That's a subset of pharmacy and mine was in collaboration with a pharmaceutical company so that's how i transitioned over into pharma i looked at academic programs too i thought about you know working a drug information center within a university uh, and that is a wonderful career path too and i think i would have been happy doing that i love finding answers to questions and just digging in deep into data yeah mm -hmm. i agree i mean I'm sure you've had this happen too, where someone will ask you a question and mm -hmm. you know, you'll, you'll kind of have an answer and you'll, but then it, it sticks in your head. Like, no, no, no. Now I need to know. <laughs> I, yeah. I know I've satisfied mm -hmm. you, but now I need, yeah, totally. I need to know. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's always so cathartic when you're like, oh, yes, I got mm -hmm. it. You know, or that's exactly how this works or that works. Mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. that's so neat. I like how you said though, that uh, when you were in school, like you, you just knew that you weren't going to work at a Walgreens or at an emergency pharmacy or a hospital pharmacy. Like you knew you wanted to do something mm -hmm. different. And mm -hmm. I guess like that, I know for the PhDs that I interviewed, because you're the, you're the first mm -hmm. PharmD that I've interviewed okay. on the podcast. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. yay. and all the PhDs that I talked to, I mean, we all had a little sense of guilt, you know, because mm -hmm. there was a sense of, I guess, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like obligation. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're going to get a PhD and then you're going to teach. You're going to do mm -hmm. research. You're going to contribute to, you know, either this university or another one, you know, and just contribute to the world of knowledge. And so mm -hmm. any of us who then went on to do medical affairs or medical writing or anything else, mm -hmm. uh, communications wise, especially, I mean, I was told when I wanted to become an MSL, my mentor said, you're just going to be a glorified messenger. Yes. Like, do, you, do you really want that? And it, and it made me feel so guilty. So out of curiosity, were there a lot of you in your pharmacy school class that kind of felt like patient care? Is that where I want to be? Or, <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> Not at all. Actually, it was, it was exactly the same experience that you're, you know, alluding to. I had that probably even more so if that's possible. I went to a Midwest pharmacy school where absolutely industry was not talked about, it was frowned upon. And uh, I, I actually had to battle even to get a rotation in that area. And I, it was, yeah, it was, there was like a wall there. And, uh, but I was, you know, sometimes I think when you're young, you don't know any better. And I was just really persistent and knew what I wanted. And I didn't care so much that I was met with that kind of animosity. animosity. Sometimes I wish I had more of that now, right? Where you just, right. uh, I really don't care. This is what I want and I'm going to go after it. And so I continued to do that. Uh, and 
the way that I was able to set myself apart for my applications, even for my residency, since it did include an industry component, was to get a rotation at FDA. And my school didn't do rotations with FDA. So that's where I really had to, this is back when, you know, the internet wasn't as easily accessible and you had to write letters and you had to, you know, verbally make phone calls and things like that. So mm -hmm. uh, for those people out there that are, you know, thinking, gosh, this path isn't easy, it's really not. And it's, you know, maybe a little bit easier now, but I, you know, it, it's definitely worth it. So, yeah, yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. My, my husband uh, grew up in Indiana and I think he would say the same thing. It was very much that like, no, this is where you live and this is what you do. And that type of mentality where he grew up as well. I was lucky enough to grow up in the uh, Chicago metropolitan area. So at uh -huh. least, you know staying home was still a pretty big area with a pretty big amount of opportunities. But yeah, mm -hmm. I, I am very aware of the, the, the Midwest, the, the small town Midwest mindset. So, I mean, good for you for persevering though. Thank you. You, know? you, you mm -hmm. built this amazing career for yourself. Thanks. So then, um, so then you did, you were in medical information. And so that's mm -hmm. the step that you took then to become an MSL. Yes. So I was in medical information uh, for a couple years after my residency. And then I did do one year, I call it like my hair, just a gap. And it wasn't a gap, but I left industry. I went with a person that I was working with at Eli Lilly that did a small startup in drug interactions and was creating this big database. And so I, it was really cool. And I'm like, I, I love the idea of being part of a startup. So I followed him. Uh, it was about about exactly a year we went around and educated people about the platform did a lot of things like that um it didn't go so well <laughs> so probably about nine months into it i was kind of like should i go back to lily and then i'll be honest i got a recruiter call and i i always tell people the story like i can remember i was upstairs in the loft where i lived and i remember the recruiter calling and saying have you ever thought about being an msl and at the time, the answer was no. I just thought I'd go back and work internally at Lilly. Uh, and I left on good terms. So I just, you know, that was the easier thing. But uh, lo and behold, I got to talking to him. The territory was a good fit. The therapeutic area was a good fit and uh, went through the interview process and I got the job. So uh, it's not as easy nowadays, I don't think <laughs> at all. But back then, you know, it wasn't as competitive. And I did have the DI, the drug information background that I think served me well. I think that really helps um, mm -hmm. to have at least some degree of expertise in, which is why MSLs have to have a doctorate degree of some kind, because if you don't understand drug interactions or different drug mm -hmm. classes, or you know, you don't have a deep knowledge of a disease state, I mean, that, that does make it just that much more challenging mm -hmm. to really wrap your brain around everything that you're talking about. Agree, so, agree. So it, um, I was a medical science liaison with Baoshan Lam, and the story is that the MSL team was started by our manager because they had a new antibiotic called Besavance, that uh, Besafloxacin, mm -hmm. that was approved only for bacterial conjunctivitis. But nice. obviously, topical antibiotics can be used most of the time in context of surgery, you know, before and after mm -hmm. cataract mm -hmm. surgery, to make sure that you don't have any sort of infection. But the sales reps couldn't talk about that. It was only approved uh, for bacterial yeah. conjunctivitis. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so 
basically um, the manager at the time he was in, um, he was on the promotional side and he said, mm -hmm. we need to come up with, with like a team or like a group of people who could talk about the drug in all different contexts. And yeah. the company said, great, you run that team. And that's, that's wow. really the first implementation of so medical affairs. Too. Yeah, cool. I think it is a pharmacist you would appreciate that story absolutely yeah no that's i mean that's what msls do that's the, the educational value that they can bring to a team for sure yeah absolutely so then what what was your area of expertise then you know and um because like mine mine is ophthalmology you know mm -hmm. and i will talk about ophthalmology drugs um till the cows come home but like what okay. what was your area of expertise when you first started yeah, so at Lily, I did a lot of different things, but I did have a rheumatology component that was osteoporosis related. And then after that, I would say my entire 20 years was almost all immunology. Uh, rheumatology, I launched Humira for a number of different conditions that are all immunology related. I did do about two years in psychiatry, but everything else is on the RA, Crohn's, psoriasis side. Mm -hmm. The story of Humira actually blows my mind. If you think about a TNF alpha antagonist, right? Yes. Yes. And yes. how many times has it been repurposed? And it seems like it really works beautifully for people. Amazing. So many different indications. And I think it opened up our understanding of how so many diseases are immune. I mean, mediated back then we just didn't know. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's a life changer for sure. That must have been so exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, no, to it's amazing. It was a, yeah, yes, exactly. Did you get to be part of the clinical trials too? So we were part of the Crohn's, the psoriasis, the psoriatic arthritis clinical trials. If you know anything about like psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, psoriatic arthritis wasn't even really a well-known disease back then. So we were part of educating dermatologists on even asking the questions to patients to help them diagnose it uh, and know that it was even a thing. So def definitely a lot of education that was done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was always my favorite part of being an MSL, the, the mm -hmm. education component, you know, yeah. especially, especially for me in the glaucoma space, you talk about the tissue that drains fluid mm -hmm. out of the eye. And most mm -hmm. of them, I would say at least half of ophthalmologists would say like, oh yeah, that's, that's the stuff that you just rip out when it stops working. Right. And I would be like, oh, that's, <laughs> what, my, that's wow. what my doctor was in. Like, it was oh so God. sad. You know? Wow. But, you know, but then the goal was like, no, let, let's talk. Let me educate you. Look how cool these cells mm -hmm. are. This is why you need this medicine mm -hmm. in particular that we're talking about because it's going to relax those cells. And oh, isn't that better mm -hmm. than just carving a big hole into it, you know? And th those are so much. Oh, yeah. There are if, if, ophthalmology surgery, surgical videos can be kind of brutal to watch. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, no, it's it's been um, no, it was it was so much fun to just educate people on that. So and I, I can see it in your face too, because you were also a teacher for a little while, weren't you? You, you taught, I taught in, um, for a year at Butler, so I taught the drug information. Oh yeah, you you mentioned your husband was in Indiana, so I I was able to teach with another friend of mine. We co-taught the like the drug information and literature evaluation course at Butler. 
So, nice. and then I precepted students on and off throughout the years, but uh, I don't get to do any of that right now. I think, yeah. you know, that that part of my career is over just because I do get the opportunity to do so much mentoring now. So it's just a different type. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I agree with you that getting an MSL job is not nearly as easy as, you know, mm -hmm. how, how you made it sound for you. So yeah. um, I have my theories about why this is such a desirable career path for people, but what, what do you think? Why are people drawn to the MSL career path? Well, I think the number one reason is because it's the one they know about and the one that they hear about. So yes. people think yeah. they want to work in the industry and the only thing they've ever, you know, a local MSL in their geography maybe met with as a clinician. So they see that and they're not aware of the different opportunities. And then, I mean, geography is a big part of this. We know that companies still aren't that open to remote employees. So being an MSL is a career where whether you live in Kentucky or you live in San Diego, like a hotbed for biotechs, you can be a part of, if, you know, the pharma industry. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I know for, from my perspective, it seemed like people like the idea of, tra of traveling and yeah. being, talking about science and actually getting yeah. paid for it, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it does it sound pretty loud. It sounds amazing. <laughs> One of the things that I try to emphasize to uh, my listeners is, you know, mm -hmm. yes, you went, yeah, yes, I went to Hawaii. Yes, right. Hawaii is beautiful. But I was in tights and high heels going yeah. from meeting to meeting, walking yeah. past all the honeymooners and all the day drinkers mm -hmm. by the pool. I, yes, you could say you're in Hawaii, but are you really it's it's totally. just another hotel room it's just another ballroom it's you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah usually when i talk to people that want to be mso's i ask them do you have a friend or a previous colleague that does it because you've got to understand what their lifestyle is like because if you know someone close like that you'll know hey it's a lot of just it's a grind, just like every other kind of job, you know, just a different kind. You're, you know, hitting the pavement, hitting, you're getting a lot of miles behind the windshield, a lot of, you know, frequent flyers. And it takes a certain kind of personality to, to like and thrive in that. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I'm going to add, it takes a special kind of partner to be okay with that too. 100%. Now, Yep. We so we also have three dogs. We don't have three mm -hmm. kids. We have mm -hmm. we have zero two legged children, but we do have a, a house full of dogs and cats. And mm -hmm. I mean, um, even when I was traveling, and there was only two dogs at the time. I mean, we lived in Portland, Oregon. My husband was there in the rain all the time, wiping off muddy paws and trying mm -hmm. to do his job and trying to take care of the house and trying to make sure mm -hmm. that you know. And you know, it it took some time for us to adjust because yeah, mm -hmm. you're you're on the road Monday or Tuesday, all the way to Thursday or Friday, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, mm -hmm. and you're living out of a suitcase and then you come home for a few days and then you leave again. And my colleagues who are parents have said it's, it's brutal sometimes mm -hmm. leaving your little ones behind, you know? And so mm -hmm. it, it does take a special mindset for yourself, but also for mm -hmm. the people around you to say, no, this is worth it. This is important. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to go do the grind together for yeah. this short amount of time that you're doing this. I think you have to have a good support system in place. It was funny because I was talking to my dad before I joined this podcast and I told him, you know, what, what I was going to be talking about. And he said, well, we did it. We had a lot of fun doing it. And I mean, notice that I said we, because it was never I, it was 
you know, definitely my parents were a big part of helping with my children uh, and just making everything happen. And we also had a nanny. I mean, there was a lot of different moving parts in our household for a lot of years. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it must have been difficult for you to just say, no, I, I can't, I can't help with this right now. Somebody mm -hmm. else has to do this. I mean, scientists tend to be type A types. And so that must have been a oh, yeah. difficult <laughs> We're really good friends now, but I'm always like, I'm so sorry. Like if I think about the way that I dealt with things now, you know, we, you always think later, like, oh man, I bet it was not the easiest to work with, but. Yeah. <laughs> no, even when I drop my dog off somewhere to stay overnight, like here's her food and here's her treats and yeah. here's her favorite toy and then make sure that, and, and my husband's like, here's the dog, leave. And I'm like, oh, I can't. Mm -hmm. It is true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then what was the transition like then when you decided, so you had this long career as yes. an MSL and then at mm -hmm. what point did you decide that you wanted to mentor MSLs mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and become self-employed? Yeah, it wasn't really like this set decision. I'll be honest with you with that. The, the last job that I had was... Uh, I started right before COVID and it was probably two years of my most fulfilling and my favorite time in the industry. I was working for a very small biotech. I was doing a lot of things at that time, building out our digital uh, plan, like with digital opinion leaders doing some different things. Uh, but I also knew that it was likely that our drug wasn't going to get moved forward. So in the back of my head, I was strategized. I was trying to be strategic a little bit, but I, I don't think I knew what kind of path I was taking. And I wish people would understand that if you try to make this linear path, it usually isn't going to work. So you just have to trust a little bit and just make little tiny decisions along the way. And when I look back now, I can see where the path was taking me. But during the, the moment, I really didn't. I But I can tell you, I... I started to learn LinkedIn for my last biotech job because the type of KOLs that I was covering uh, were on LinkedIn. So it was a very distinct specialty and they were on LinkedIn and, and they were also on Twitter. So I, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I used to be very heavily on Twitter as well, uh, learning the social aspects of that and how to best get insights from that. So. Uh, if someone would have asked me back then, I probably would have said I would stay in a digital innovation type role in the industry. That's, you know, what it was kind of my career was looking like. Uh, and I don't know exactly what happened. I wish I could tell you, like, oh, this led to this, led to this. Uh, but, you know, we're on a podcast today, so I can tell you that I volunteered to be on a podcast to talk about podcasts and digital things. And with that, I met, you know, Tom Caravella, who I work with now. And people laugh at this story because they really don't believe it. But I literally was just a guest on the podcast. And then we became friends. We had, we read a lot of the same books. We had a lot of the same philosophies. Uh, and so, and he's a recruiter. He owns this big recruiting firm. So when I got downsized, I sent him a message and I said, hey, you know, don't contact me. You know, I don't want to, I'm not going to go back to being that on myself. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? And we, we had this conversation. I said, I don't know. You know, I need a little bit of time. Uh, I was either going to start my, you know, look at digital innovation jobs or start to teach people how to build a personal brand. I was thinking I was targeting physicians. There were a lot of different things in my head. Uh, but Tom proposed, he's like, hey, come, you know, have you ever thought about being a recruiter? Well, heck no. Who thinks about being a recruiter? Like, talk about, you know, 
no, you know, so that's where I just wish people would keep an open mind because you just never know. Uh, so we had a series of conversations over a couple weeks. I wouldn't say it was that long because I'm a really decisive person. And I'm like, what do I have to lose? You know, we, we talked about it and it was a lot of the things that I like to do, which is research companies, you know, find find talent is no different really than finding answers to questions. I know it sounds weird, but it's it's is a very similar thing to my drug and like drug information background. So I'm really long winded, usually I'm not this much, but I think the important lesson is it wasn't a plan and it just ended up and my career has evolved in the last two years. We, we didn't plan that December, whatever year it would have been 2021. We didn't plan to start, you know, a coaching program for aspiring MSLs, you know, then we just, as we saw needs, we just started to create things. And that's, that's how my, you know, last couple of years have, have been. That's very refreshing, honestly, Sarah, because I, I started with a plan and then mm-hmm. said yes to opportunities and said no to other opportunities. And I'm at mm-hmm. where I'm at right now because of the connections that I have made mm-hmm. along the way and sure. the opportunities sure. that I said yes to and the people who mm-hmm. I've been introduced to along the way. And so I, I, I really like that. It, it almost always starts with some kind of a serendipitous event, you mm-hmm. know, and then you find yourself in your dream job. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there's a lot of hustle and you know work that goes along with that it's not it's not a fairy tale but i mean right you're absolutely right when you look back you think mm-hmm. huh, yeah i can see mm-hmm. i love how you said you know that the things that didn't happen for you actually led you to mm-hmm. where you're at and I, I i remember so many times getting turned down for a grant or getting turned down for a fellowship or whatever and just feeling like you know when you're young, especially like my world is ending. Oh my God. <laughs> you know. And then you realize later, like, oh wow. Yeah, because of that, I end up doing this. And then that got me to here. And it's really, it's really kind of neat when you look back on it and think about it in those terms. 100%. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, um, actually, so let's talk about online branding since you say that that's one of your favorite topics. So you mm-hmm. have, so, you know, and this is going to be partly for the listeners and partly for me because I'm trying to build my online podcast mm-hmm. brand, um, primarily on Instagram, somewhat on LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm. I won't touch Twitter with like a 40 foot pole. Yeah, me either. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. no Twitter. Thank you very much. But um, but for for the listeners who are like trainees, for, for, mm-hmm. for example, they are thinking about pursuing careers in industry. What advice do you have about starting to build an online brand? Well, I think the first thing is just to know that you have to, like, it's not a, like, should you, it's, it's 2024. Like if you're not, you're just going to be left behind. And whether it's things like your grants or publications or being invited to podcasts, like all these different things and these opportunities are out there, but you're not going to know about them if you don't have a personal brand. And the funny part is you're creating one whether you want to or not. So if you don't have a LinkedIn picture or you have an old one, or you've got some old things, some junk things showing up if someone Googles you, that's your personal brand. So you do have one. Like, so it's up to you to build it the way that you wanna have it. And people say to me almost on a daily basis, well, I don't, I'm not a bragger. You know, like I'm just not into that. You know, well, it, it doesn't, 
personal branding is not like bragging at all. It's about the person that you are and just being transparent and honest about what you can bring and what you do. And so, you know, when I got the last job I had in industry, I didn't have a LinkedIn picture. I had nothing like that. Things were very different. You know, but we are in a digital world now. There's just that that's the very first thing that an employer is going to do is Google your name. They're going to look you up on LinkedIn. And again, you never know what side opportunities you're going to get because of your brand. Uh, so I think just make decisions very carefully about what you put out there because you can't take it back either. I see. Uh, I think the biggest mistake, and you didn't ask me this question, but I, I'm just going to take the opportunity to share it if it's okay. Uh, the biggest mistake I see with people out there, you know, on th thinking that posting is better than not, is posting about like the hardships that they're under and how uh, they can't get a job or just the frustrations and, you know, um, on their daily basis with their manager. And that's your build personal brand then. Now you're building this personal brand that you're a difficult person to work with or, you know, even if it's not your fault and you have the worst manager ever, if you're, that's the kind of stuff you're putting out there, you know, that's what you're building. You know, LinkedIn isn't, well, I'll tell you, I don't think you should be putting that on Instagram or Facebook either, unless you're very careful about being private because people find it. And so, you know, it's, it's just the way that it is, but, uh, I mean, there's this huge opportunity out there. You just have to be willing to do it on a step-by-step -step basis. And LinkedIn is just, it, it's amazing. The opportunities that you can get off of that platform. I love that. I, I want to I repeat what you said, which is building this online brand is not bragging. No. Because, because again, as just coming from the science background, mm -hmm. we are taught that we are cogs in the wheel. You know, yeah. we are standing on the shoulders of proverbial giants, you know, mm -hmm. and we're all mm -hmm. just here to do our little part. And it's about us. It's not about me. It's about us, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. when you go online and you, mm -hmm. and someone takes a photo of you giving a talk and you put it online, mm -hmm. you know, or you put, uh, I got this grant, I got my paper published, you know. It, it, it can feel a little bit wrong to, yeah. to do that because you're trained to mm -hmm. think this way. But I, I love what you said. It's it's not bragging. You If mm -hmm. you don't put it out there, no one mm -hmm. else is going to do it for you. Yeah, no. And the other way to think about it is, you know, if you're putting out your grant or you're putting out that picture of yourself, like what how can that benefit someone else? So if you were talking about a specific disease state, can you put some educational content out there with it? So then it's not just like, oh, I'm thankful that I was able to present or I'm thankful that I got published. Like put out there what the message is that helps the end user and it looks a lot less braggy and just helpful to the end person. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, I really like that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, let's talk about Aspire MSL and because mm -hmm. uh, I love I, I've learned a little bit about this uh, mm -hmm. community just before I before we jumped on to uh, the days leading up to this interview and um, I don't know, I really like this idea that you have a community of people who are all shooting towards the same goal mm -hmm. and you're kind of supporting each other so um, could you share some of the best practices say for uh, resumes or for interviews, like, you know, cause for a lot of people, the hardest part is getting that foot in the door. 
Yeah. You know, well, that's- say, yeah, we Sorry. can start with the resume. So I would say my biggest advice for the resume is don't use a service. So like, don't send your resume away and have someone do it for you. Um, I like done with you services. Like in our program, we have, we do it with you. Like it's a template, you build it and then we'll review it. We'll help you with it. But I really think it's important for people not to send it away to this fancy resume service and get it back that has this picture. And then these, this, these bullets that you can't even really convey. And then you sound different in the interview than you do on your resume. So I like consistency and that's your personal brand. You're going to be consistent on your resume, your LinkedIn profile, all the way through the interview, same person. This is you. Like, it's not just, you know, looking fake on a resume. We want it to portray you. Uh, so, you know, that's, the biggest advice I can give on the resume. Well, I'll add one more thing because this is a pet peeve of mine too. It's just that you don't have to have like this one page resume. You're a PhD. Like your resume shouldn't be a page. Like you've done all these things. Uh, I really dislike the idea that you've got to drill it all down and that people won't read it past one page. We absolutely will. Uh, We don't need the old CV, the academic style, but we, you know, you can have whatever is appropriate on that resume. Uh, and then I guess the other questions, you know, as far as preparing to be an MSO or just to prepare to get into industry, you know, we already talked a little bit about LinkedIn, but your LinkedIn profile is very important. What you have on there, your about section, your tagline, the keywords that you use, those are all very valuable. Uh, and interviewing, I mean, just you know, knowing how to walk and talk like an MSO is, you know, is what you've got to do to stand out. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's a really good point because a lot of people, I think they, like you said, they they like the idea of being an MSL, but they are uh, particularly introverted. They're not comfortable talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. They're not comfortable just walking into an office and mm-hmm. introducing themselves and talking about, mm-hmm. you know, handing over a business card and starting a, starting a conversation, you know? So mm-hmm. for those people, I'll usually say, well, that that is not your only option. Medical affairs encompasses a whole yeah. boatload of things including writing, including, you know, standardized response letters and other aspects of medical information. I mean, there's a lot of other jobs that you can do that maybe can just keep you behind your desk with, you know, in, in your comfort zone, because you shouldn't be miserable when you're going right. into a job. Correct. Agree. Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I like that aspect of authenticity throughout, you know, mm-hmm. from your resume to how you present yourself and your online profile and everything. I think that's, I think that's really great. Um, in terms of interview etiquette, uh, one of the things that I like to emphasize to people is that they should always make sure to research their uh, interviewers ahead of time. Um, Julie Tetzloff on this podcast, you'll appreciate this as a Midwesterner. Um, she was interviewing for a job in Boston, but she found out that I think it was either the COO of the company or one of the higher ups in the company was from Wisconsin, like she is. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she was able to make comments about mm-hmm. the latest Packer game, and he just lit up on the Christmas tree, and yes. they had this amazing, you know, interview, and boom, mm-hmm. she got herself a job, you know. So mm-hmm. it kind of goes back to serendipity a little bit. You find something that you know that you have in common with the person that you're interviewing with, or you mention, "Hey, I read this paper of yours, or I saw this video that you did recently." It really does go a long way. Do you? Do you do you agree with this? Or do you think uh, there are other ways to go about interview etiquette or interview process? 
No, and I'm going to add everything you said is such good advice. And it's also what MSLs do with KOLs. So if you do an interview setting, then the hiring manager is going to look at you and think, oh, like this person did the homework before they met with me. They're going to do the same thing with KOLs. Because the last thing you want to do in with, you know, is go cold in with a KOL and start asking them questions. Oh, so, you know, where'd you go to school? Like when you can find all that on Google, right? Totally. So, you know, those are really good etiquette tips. And, and actually, I'll tell you a story about the one time it bit me in the butt because I did reach out to a doctor. Uh, I read, mm-hmm. reached out to a KOL for a first interaction, asking him if he wouldn't mind uh, if I came over and just talk about mm-hmm. this exciting new thing that we had going on. And his response was, yes, I was a co-author on one of the phase two mm-hmm. articles. I know everything I need to know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I felt about this big. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. It's happened to all of us. Yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those moments, like, right, maybe do a little bit, even before an email, like I wasn't even going in to talk to this guy. I had all the time in the world and I didn't even yeah. do a preliminary yes. Google Scholar search or something. Mm-hmm. And I was just mm-hmm. so, I was so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Right, so then um, I guess from your vantage point, what are you excited about in, in pharma these days? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, like the gene therapies, I think are exciting. Okay. Uh, I I think the biosimilars are exciting to me just to see how it changes the course of our health system. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you know we can all agree that a lot of that needs revamping. So I'm excited to see so many of those and MSLs covering those. That really is intriguing to me. Uh, I think I'm excited just to see how MSLs evolve in the next five years, you know, because you know, it's a very competitive, it's not just competitive to become an MSL, it's very competitive to get in with KOLs to get time. Uh, so, you know, how are you going to set yourself apart? What, you know, what, what can value can you bring? So mm-hmm. I find all those exciting. And then obviously I find the, you know, social media aspect and the DOLs, like digital opinion leaders, most exciting. That's where I think, I remember telling my, uh, my boss, this would have been back in 2020, like, well, we need to figure out who does podcasts, you know, as far and talks about osteoarthritis. And they all kind of laughed at me. You know, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, no one's going to listen to podcasts. Well, look at now, look how many medical podcasts there are. And they only laughed at me for a day. Like then once I made a list and started a show, like you got to, you know, can't just say something, you got to back up information. But uh, I think those kind of things, you know, how we share data, I mean, I can keep going. A lot of things excite me, obviously. Now, I think that's great because, I, and I wanted to ask you that because as these pharmaceutical fields evolve, mm-hmm. there's going to be new topic areas. And for those new topic areas, we're going to need MSLs. Yep. And yep. so that's kind of my sneaky way of saying, what could some people be thinking about mm-hmm. now in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, how many people are using CRISPR in the lab? I mean, it seems like right. everyone I talk to is doing yep. something with CRISPR or they were doing, you know, um, flux, you know, uh, changes in gene expression or optogenetics or something. I mean, these are all things that you might be doing now, but you can build on and think about how this could become a therapeutic and how that would benefit patients Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. would be something that would turn a patient off to this particular therapeutic versus, you know, make them excited about a particular therapeutic, you know, and and we, we would we would have thought 
20 years ago before we had um, injectable uh, VEGF inhibitors. And Ooh. we would have thought nobody would get a shot in their eye every mm -hmm. month. I mean, it sounds like a nightmare. And I always wonder why dentists still somehow are in the 18th century. It's true. You know, we can do the most amazing things, mm -hmm. but oh my God, dentists <laughs> look like torture devices. Good point. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> if any of the dental student out there, please do something to make it better because all of us. Mm -hmm. all of us. I got a root canal a couple of months ago and I was looking mm -hmm. around because they, they left me alone for a few minutes. So I was just looking mm -hmm. around and I said, what are those? And they literally said, don't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> not good. Not good. Oh, I have my phone up. So thanks for the reminder there. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, then, then they said, you, would you like nitrous? And I said, yes, please. Yeah, for sure. Give me that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a little extra. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Just add it in. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. So in, in the last few minutes, what do you want us to know about the, uh, the Carolyn group? And what do you want us to know mm -hmm. about um, Aspire MSL? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the Carolyn Group is, you know, we are a recruiting firm that focuses on medical affairs. So almost all of the jobs that we get are going to be for experienced medical affairs professionals. So that's number one. I have a lot of people reaching out saying, how, how can you help me get a job? Probably not. I'm probably going to be your person that's going to be hounding you after you've been in the industry for a couple of years. So the Aspire MSL program is that segue because Honestly, Tom, you know, the owner of our firm and I get so many messages on a daily basis just asking, hey, can I pick your brain? Can we have an informational interview? If I did that, I literally would, uh, I would be on, well, I'd be on the phone 24 hours a day. You know, I would never have any. So we took all of that information and we put it into a course and that's what Aspire MSO is. So it's a course on how to break into the industry specific to the MSL role. Uh, the course does have a lot of live components. Uh, so we don't just leave you hanging. We help you step-by-step step with some group coaching. We've got an app uh, so you can get your questions answered. I love the program. I could talk about the program for an hour so you'll have to shut me up. But the one thing I'll tell you is seeing the people work together and is just life changing. And they're not going against each other because they live in different geographies. So they're giving tips, they're sharing to, you know, this is what my experience was. They're sharing, they're giving their practice presentations to each other. I mean, it's really, uh, they're, they're building bonds. And I tell them, you guys are probably going to work together in the future. You know, you know, they will, because, you know, maybe not their first job, but probably two jobs. They're going to be like, Hey, we were in Aspire MSL together. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's networking before you're even in the industry. So it's a that, wonderful program. That is so true. Mm -hmm. You know, if you and I were in the program together and you got an MSL position and then they said, mm -hmm. Hey, we're, we're looking for somebody in Florida. You would say, yes. I, I think I know somebody. I mean, yes. that's, that mm -hmm. is, that is a phenomenal idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been so much fun to work with and cool. yeah. Yep. Yep. How and, does that differ from a certification program? And like, do you see yeah. value in MSL certification programs? Cause they're out there and they're more than happy to take your money. So, I mean, mm -hmm. how, how does this differ from certification? Yeah, Tom and I thought a lot about whether or not we were going to do a, any kind of certificate from our program. It was actually a lot of conversations back and forth. And he and I both have the opinion you can't really certify someone as an MSO. Like, 
uh, you know, as an MSL, you have to have, you know, really sound scientific acumen, but you also have to have the communication skills and you can go through a course, but there's no, you know, just because you do the course doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get a job. So the way that I think we have framed our program is we're going to do everything in our power to get you a job. We're not teaching you to be an MSL. We're taking your scientific acumen. We're teaching you the lingo. We're teaching you the interview process, you know, how to change your scientific presentation a little bit to make it more of a story uh, and, you know, sell yourself per se without selling. Uh, but the whole idea is to get a job, not to certify you in anything. So it was a very conscious decision uh, that we didn't want to do. And I think I don't have any opposition to the certification programs that are out there. I don't know that much about them, to be honest, but as a recruiter, I get a lot of incoming messages that say I'm certified as an MSL. And unfortunately, that doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, you know, I want to know what you've done and what you're, you know, what, how that transfers. So a certificate doesn't tell me that. And it, it doesn't set you apart. I wish it did, but what will set you apart is your LinkedIn profile, your bullets, your resume telling me here's what I did in my publication and why it matters and the disease state, mm -hmm. that type of thing. So hopefully that answered your question. It's a very tough one. I see a lot of certifications period in the industry. And uh, I, I always tell people when they ask me, I think for regulatory affairs, I think they're important because you're learning a specific like pathway and yeah. you know, you learned that FDA, like how to do this. And it's a very how to thing. I don't feel that way right now about the you know medical affairs per se. I completely agree. Um, because when I, we started hearing about the certifications after I became an MSL mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. my, my initial gut reaction was the same as yours, Sarah, you know, mm -hmm. why, why would I go through the process and, and spend the money to have someone say, yes, you are, you are certified. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. but that just because you go through a program doesn't mean you're good at right. whatever yeah. it is. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, some, I passed my accounting class in yeah. my MBA program, but you do yeah. not want me doing your accounting. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, I mean, but, but mm -hmm. yeah, someone will say, oh yeah, she took accounting. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so it, it's, it's a, it, to me, it was the same idea. Like why mm -hmm. would you go it's through the analogy. process? when mm -hmm. it probably would do you better to talk to other MSLs and mm -hmm. try to mm -hmm. get interviews and pick up on best practices from as many people as you can possibly meet. Yeah. You know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you don't have to pay any kind of coaching program. You can do it yourself. Uh, a lot of the things that, you know, when we talk about Aspire MSO, you know, I say like, if you want to do it faster and you want to do it with a little bit more fun, a little less stress, then, you know, come join our program. If you want to go Google and figure it all out on your own, you a hundred percent can. But if you want like a roadmap, you know, here to here to get there a little faster, then do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's absolutely right. Um, what other ways? So to back up some of the things that I talk to people about when they ask about networking, you know, because maybe they feel like they're they don't get a ton of networking options because they don't get to go to a lot of conferences or or whatever. Um, I usually recommend that they either look up um, online communities or they Google, you know, my audience is, is primarily women. So I'll say look up like women in STEM conferences in your area or if there's like women pharmacists, 
you know, Midwest. And usually there are these types of small little associations that the Society for Neuroscience has uh, local chapters all over the U.S. And women in ophthalmology is starting to have local chapters, you know. So I feel like those are good opportunities to go meet people, at least on a smaller scale. And you either talk to the vendors or you talk to um, some of the other doctors. And I mean, I would be hard pressed to find anybody who would look at me and say, why are you asking me what I do? I mean, everyone seems so, if you go up to a vendor and say, excuse me, I'm interested in your company. You know, what do you do? I've never had a single person say, uh, please leave me alone. You know, I mean, right. so what, what are the recommendations you have for people who need to practice networking or maybe want to start making connections? Well, the last thing you said is probably the most important thing I can, uh, you know, just emphasize, which is you went up to that booth and you asked them about them. So networking is about going and asking the other person for advice or about them. And if you make it that way and you don't go in and say, you know, you know I'm a pharmacist and yeah, I went to pharmacy school at da da da, and you know, here's my life history. It's probably not going to go very well. But if you yeah. go in with questions for them, no matter who the audience is, it's hard to mess up. Like if you're genuinely yeah. interested, so it doesn't matter if it's, you know, at your local uh, community center, at your farm, like Iowa Pharmacy Association, anything, you can go and you can do it. Just be prepared to ask people about themselves. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. So it's, it's you know, uh, but I'll tell you one thing about written networking that I think is a good lesson too, just because so much is virtual now. Uh, you know, think about the way that you're writing your communication. And if you would say that to someone in person, like if you wouldn't say to someone, you know, can you help me find a job? Like, that's probably not going to be the first thing that you're going to say. So like, don't write it. And that's a really good way to just change your whole philosophy on online networking too. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I actually think that schools should offer some sort of business communication, email communication course for that mm -hmm. exact reason. Yes. Yes, agree. You know, um, I was recently at my alma mater a couple of months ago, and they were talking about how they do have a presentation course, but the only presentations that they practice are the research and progress seminars. Um, you know, and uh -huh, here's how uh -huh. you give, maybe here's how you give uh, a 30 minute version of your dissertation talk and maybe a 10 minute uh -huh. version. And there might be a disease state uh, talk in there, mm -hmm. but no one seems to talk about how to write a good email how yeah. to write how to write a good tweet i mean yeah. my husband has to coach me on how to write a good link uh, look good linkedin post but also a good instagram post i'm like for sure what am i what what am i doing wrong how do i do this and he's like you mm -hmm. are way too verbose in so many of these because i'm still like in that science writer mindset mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I, I, I wish colleges and universities would start offering courses like this. I think they would just be immensely beneficial. Very good point. Mm -hmm. Throwing that out there in the universe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I do not want to take up uh, too much of your time, Sarah, but I mean, is there, is there anything else? Like if people want to find you, uh, uh, obviously they can find you on LinkedIn, but where can they learn more? 
Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just Sarah Snyder on LinkedIn. Actually, I guess it'd be Sarah Miller Snyder. Uh, so you can probably link to that. Uh, and then I do have my own podcast. So I know you mentioned you, you used to run, you weight lift. So my podcast is uh, the Running After Age 40 podcast. And the website is runningwithgrit.com. So the podcast is all obviously about running after the age of 40. It's more mm-hmm. mental and just nutrition, talking, things like that versus you know, any kind of running racing information. Uh, and then, yeah, the Aspire MSL program. I mean, we are so excited about that program. You can find it, all the information at mslmastery.com. And I'm always willing to do a 15 minute call to see if, you know, we think that we'd be able to help you. Uh, and so people can just easily set that up on my calendar. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Sarah Snyder, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you mm-hmm. being on the Vegetable Order podcast today. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Dr. Sarah Snyder, for joining us. Again, you can find Sarah on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find her podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. And um, yeah. Do me a favor, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube. That would be super helpful. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.